Ephesians chapter 3, and we read the first 13 verses from Ephesians chapter 3. This is what Paul is writing. If we can just put the laptop on as well. When I think of I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the Gentiles, assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me a special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, as I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed his mysterious plan to me. As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generation. But now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. And this is God's plan. Who believe the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because they belong to Christ Jesus. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading this good news. Though I am least and the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom in its rich variety to all the unseen rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. So please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I am suffering for you, so you should feel honored. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we recognize that your word is so powerful. And yet, without your intervention, it is at best something that uh, goes in to one ear and comes out of the other. Or it's just confusing or dull or unengaging. That's why we need to pray that you would engage us with your word in such a way that it is life-giving. May transform the way we think. May transform the way we talk. May transform the way we live. So that your word would be like a seed that brings out fruit. So beautiful in the world we're living right now. As spring is kicking in, just to see the seeds being transformed into green shoots or buds that are just ready to explode with color and life. 
And that's what we pray that prophetically you would do in our lives this morning as we come and sit under the authority of your word. Holy Spirit, open our minds and our hearts and prepare us to be good soil in which the seed of your word can grow, blossom, and bring fruit. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. As we continue in our journey uh, in Paul's letter to the Ephesians, we're going to talk about this morning. There's a beautiful story of this uh, young lady in Sunderland. Unfortunately, in her early teens, she suffered a horrendous attack that resulted in her struggling with PTSD. Um, in her sort of mid to late teens, she was going through such a difficult time that she was contemplating taking her life. So she went to a particular local spot, the Weirmouth Bridge. Um, it, it, this was in 2018, a place where people come to take their lives, and she was planning to do something terrible. In an amazing grace, really, a couple were passing by, and they spoke to her. And they simply said to her this sentence, you are worth so much more than this. It rattled her, it stopped her. And ever since then, she was so touched by what happened to her (laughs) and by, by what those two good Samaritans did to her that she started writing the same note She would laminate them, she would cut them up, and she would just hang them on that bridge. Soon a whole sort of project kind of took place, a kind of handmade, homemade project, uh, in which she started doing that, and probably she left over a thousand handwritten laminated notes on that bridge, encouraging others struggling with mental health issues just to seek help with a pointing towards Samaritans or other local charities who could help. Somebody actually acknowledged that it impacted them, a 25-year-old guy called Callum. Um, He said, actually, that note saved my life too. And there's something that I find fascinating. Why is it that somebody does what they do, particularly remarkable things like this? And if you listen to their story and understand their motivation, you get a great insight into why this is happening. And it becomes both fascinating but also very inspiring. What Paul is saying in these 13 verses, if you want, it's the very reason why he does what he does. Paul became probably the most significant evangelist, missionary, church planter for the cause of Jesus. And he went not just in his locality where he was based in Jerusalem, but he went all around the world in in the particular area of the world where he he sensed the Holy Spirit was leading him, probably modern-day Turkey, all the way to modern-day Greece. And he went to tell other people about the love that he found in Christ. The two stories have a beautiful parallel. And I think if we delve into this, it's such an incredible encouragement to us. 
I almost want to say, I don't know how many of you enjoy podcasts. I love podcasts, and particularly the kind of podcast with people, either people that are famous or people that I don't know, that talk about their life. Um, it window and an insight into things where you begin to understand a lot of things in a better way. So imagine that this morning we have the opportunity of having the Apostle Paul on the podcast with Christy. And I'm asking him the question, really, Paul, what is it that you do and why do you do it? And the reason I would ask Paul that question is because me and you, we all have the same calling, the same mandate. It wasn't just restricted to Paul or somebody else to be evangelists, to be living missionally, to be those kind of people that ultimately see others encounter the good news of Jesus. And I know I need all the advice, all the help, all the inspiration that I can get. And who better to ask than the Apostle Paul? And that's why it's beautiful to be able to do that and get that insight. The first thing that Paul would say to us this morning would be simply this. Mission is about passion. This is what he writes to the Ephesians. When I think of all of this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the benefit of you Gentiles, assuming you know that God gave me the special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles. As I briefly wrote earlier, God himself revealed this mysterious plan to me. Paul is gripped by a cause. God gave me. We fail to realize what an incredible thing it is. God himself, I mean, we may feel very privileged if somebody in authority, if somebody famous would give us something to do, but yet we've got God himself, Paul is saying, has given me this special responsibility. Paul realizes this is a great privilege. And it isn't just for Paul. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he spoke to the disciples twice. One, in, we find it in, in, in the end of Matthew's gospel, where he's saying, I want you to go into the whole world and make disciples in my name, teaching them to obey everything that I command you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he speaks to the disciples again. He says, I want you to be my witnesses. Wait here. The Holy Spirit will be poured upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the world. That's a calling from Jesus. And Paul is saying, I realize that God gave me this special responsibility, this great passion, this great privilege to be able to do this. This isn't about some sort of a dreamt-up idea for Paul. He heard the voice of God speaking to him, and he realized this is something you can't turn down. This is an offer you can't refuse. And the passion that Paul has is so great that, as he says there to the Ephesians, he's willing to suffer for it. A prisoner of Jesus Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles. That's how great his passion is. Don't miss out on this. Jews and Gentiles weren't particularly friendly. For 
Paul to get himself to the stage where he is willing to be imprisoned because he has a passion to share the good news of Jesus with the Gentiles, that's huge. That's, my, that's real passion. That's off-the-scale passion. And that's because God gave him an assignment. And he was willing to do whatever it took to fulfill that assignment. There's a question for me and you. Is that my passion in life too? I'm so often put to shame. I never forgot reading about some celebrated Nottingham Forest fan who had been going and attending all matches home and away for something like 23 years. All for the sake of following a football team. What is your passion? What is it that you're willing to suffer for? What is it that you're willing to give your life for and your energy and your resources and everything within you with your whole being? Because for Paul, it was this. I'm realizing God gave me this special assignment. And for that, in order to share the good news with the Gentiles, I'm willing to do everything, including being in chains. That's what it looks like living with passion. And Paul continues. If you want to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing, mission is about this great privilege. He says this, As you read what I have written, you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. God did not reveal it to previous generations, but by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. There is this window of opportunity that is such a huge privilege. Paul realized that there would have been so many people previous to Jesus coming who weren't able to hear this liberating good news. Think about being a Gentile. He's writing to the people in Ephesus who would have been modern-day Turkey. He would have been Gentiles. There wouldn't have been Jews. We already looked at this. They were outsiders. They, they, they didn't have a belonging in God's kingdom. They didn't have a part in God's covenant. They didn't have a hope. They didn't have salvation. They didn't have God. They had nothing. And suddenly there is this window of opportunity as Jesus comes and is born in Bethlehem's manger and he comes into this world. God invades this world as a savior for all. And that's the window of opportunity for all. And suddenly the doors of salvation are swung wide open. And people like me and you, for the vast majority of us who aren't Jews and who aren't part of the covenant people of God, are invited in. We could never be invited in. It was madness. It's what angered so many of the religious leadership in Israel. How can these outsiders be welcomed in? And yet, that's the beauty. And Paul is saying, this is, this is what I've written to you already. I've got an insight into God's plan regarding Christ. And he did not reveal it to previous generations, but by his spirit, he reveals it to us now. And this is continuing to happen. What hasn't happened before, you know, we don't have to go to the temple. We don't have to go at Yom Kippur. We don't have to keep the Sabbath. We don't have to go. Sacrifices for sin. None of us is something that we have to do. Instead, we are invited to put our faith and trust in Christ. 
That's the beautiful mystery of the gospel. That's the gift that God is giving to all of us. No rituals. No laws to keep. People think about the Ten Commandments. There probably would have been around 612, some geek counted, 612 laws. Do you think we would have been able to keep 612 laws? And yet Paul is saying, I've got this new revelation. I, I, I've got an insight into the plan of God. God did not reveal it to previous generation, but now by his spirit he was revealing to us. You don't have to keep the 612 laws. All you have to say is yes, yes, yes to the invitation that Jesus is giving you for him to be your savior and your Lord. No wonder the gospel looked like a folly to many. It's an incredible privilege. And me and you can carry that message. Imagine being given the task of inviting people to be reconciled with God and saying, by the way, you have to keep 612 laws. Good luck with that. We don't have to do that. All we have to do is tell them the good news. That the Son of God came to rescue sinners. To set them free. And bring them life. Life in its fullness. That's an incredible privilege. Or what we've been given. And let me tell you this. The clock is running down. The doors are going to be shut one day. We in this church don't believe in universalism. We don't believe that everybody will be saved. Only those who put their faith and trust in Christ Jesus will be saved. And in order for them to do that, they need to hear the good news. If they can't hear the good news, how can they believe? But the doors will be shut. The time is running down. The clock is ticking. Let's not kid ourselves that there's going to be a tomorrow. There may not be tomorrow. Incessantly, I put the news on, and I find people my age or younger than me that never wake up. They die in their sleep. Some of them healthy athletes. Some of them people that are very strong. Let's not kid ourselves. Let's not live with that sense of there's going to be a tomorrow and I'll tell them tomorrow. We may not be able to tell them tomorrow. All we have is right now. And there is an urgency and a privilege that we can tell them this incredible good news that is so powerful. Paul would say, you must remember, it is good news. I mean, it's not only preachers that refer to it as some sort of a Christianese slang. It is good news. I keep calling it good news because it is good and it is news. And Paul talking about it in, in verse 6 says this. And this is the plan. Both Gentiles and Jews who believe in the good news share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Both are part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings because that's the key. They belong to Christ. It's not universalism. It's not for everybody. It's for those who belong to Christ. It is good news because all are invited to salvation. You don't have to keep the 612. In fact, you can be as bad as bad can be. There was a man when Jesus was being crucified one on his left and one on his right. And one of the thieves mocking him. And the other one said to Jesus, both criminals. That's what the Bible calls them, criminals. They would have done bad stuff. 
And one of them says to Jesus, Jesus, will you remember me when you will be in your kingdom? And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in the kingdom of heaven. Anyone can be saved. It doesn't matter what you've done. And that's offensive. I had a brilliant conversation a few weeks ago with somebody that said, you know, I find it quite offensive, you know, that somebody can... And I said, that's, that's the truth of the gospel. It is offensive. And the more moral you are, the more offensive it will be to you. The more broken you are, the more sinful you are, the more it will look like incredibly, unbelievably, it's too good to be true kind of good news. But that's the reality. It is good news. And Paul is saying, this is, this is God's plan. You, you now will share in the riches as God's children. Before Jesus came to save us, our status was enemies of God. Enemies of God. Think about the war between Russia and Ukraine. What do you do to your enemy? You bring them down. That's the strength of the I want you to get it. God didn't just look at humankind without Christ and say, you're all right. You know, you're okay. You're not great, but you're okay. No, all that God could see was a rebellious heart. A heart that was always inclined for evil. And because of God's holiness and because of man's sinfulness, there was this, you know, distance that was unbridgeable. The two just don't mix together. And the craziness of the gospel is that Jesus comes and makes out of the enemies children of God through the work of Christ on the cross. Do you get it? Do you know how crazy it is? Do you know how unbelievable it is? Let's not tame this down. We will become terrible Christians who will never wholeheartedly worship Jesus and never wholeheartedly share the gospel if we think we were some sort of moral people that weren't as bad as everybody else, but kind of not as good as everybody else. That's how most people see themselves. Do you know what? I'm not as bad as everybody else. I'm not not as good as everybody else. So I'm kind of, you know, in the middle there. No, our status before Christ, where we were enemies of God, deserving of his wrath. And when Jesus comes, the mind-blowing thing comes. Jesus takes upon himself our sin and the wrath of God, takes our punishment upon himself. And he says, because of him, now we are reconciled with God. And now we're God's children. Not to be kept in the corner with God kind of thinking, yeah, I forgive you, but I don't forget. No. With God saying, you are my children, and you will have what Paul is saying here. You will share equally in the riches inherited by God's children. Not just children, but children who get the inheritance. That's the change of status. That's how good the good news is. And you are now both part of the same body and both enjoy the promise of blessings. <laughs> God is saying, I know what you did. Some of you, some of you get this. Some of you get this. You may have a family member who used to be something terrible. You know, and maybe they struggle with an addiction. They've done something really bad. They had a bad behavior. And sometimes you keep an eye on them. 
thinking, I'm not quite really sure how you're going to do. God doesn't do that. In Christ, he forgives us, he sets us free, and then he says he gives us all the promise of blessings. Condition? Because they belong to Christ. That's the good news. The enemies become children who have all the inheritance and also have all the promise of blessings upon them. We are his. We are God's people. (laughs) We haven't got many reasons to boast about anything in this life. But my word, we could wake up every single morning of our life and look in the mirror and say, I once used to be an enemy of God through the sin of my life. But because of Jesus' sacrifice, here's the good news. I am now God's child. I have an inheritance. And I have his blessings being poured out upon me because I belong to Christ. That is good news. Instead of starting every day putting on or reading the news, scrolling or turning something on, look at yourself in the mirror and say, I have good news this morning. The good news is that in Christ, I am redeemed. I am renewed. I am accepted. I am somebody. That's how we get real self-worth. Not through a fake pep talk by somebody around you or reading some motivational quote but by the truth of God's word and the identity that we have because we believe the good news. Let me ask you this morning, do you enjoy the good news? Do you savor it every day? Do you let it be the thing that takes over your mind instead of all the other toxic stuff that is thrown at you? Because Paul was captured by the goodness of the good news. It may seem heavy, and I would say to Paul, if we were in the podcast, I would say, hey, I get this. I get you're passionate. You know, this is great. I get the privilege. Fantastic. I I great that the good news is really good. But how can I do it? Because it's so hard. And Paul will give me this answer. Mission is done in dependence. Look at verses 7 and 8. By God's grace and mighty power, I have been given the privilege of serving him by spreading the good news, this good news. Though I am the least deserving of all God's people, he graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about the endless treasures available to them in Christ. I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan that God, the creator of all things, had done. Paul would say to us, I don't deserve this. (laughs) He's saying, I am the least deserving of God's people. Paul was somebody who stood by and egged on other people to kill one of the prominent early church leaders in Stephen. He was present there at a stoning. Stephen. He persecuted Christians. He wanted to get rid of them, not just in prison, but killed, eliminated. He was that zealous. What kind of level of arrogance do you think was in Paul's heart? What kind of level of stubbornness? 
How much pride would have been in Paul's heart? That's why he says, I am the least deserving of all God's people. Yes, he had the degrees. He had the theological acumen. He had all the qualifications. But in terms of spiritually, he, he was just as sinful as me and you are. How can we do this? We don't do this by being self-confident and relying on our own resources and thinking we, we've cracked it. We can do it. Paul said, I don't deserve to do this. I'm not confident in this. And the key is to understand, as he's saying in verse 7, by God's grace, it's all grace. It's all undeserved favor. None of us deserve to be called by God. None of us are qualified. None of us are perfect. And we're invited. And then Paul is also saying, by God's grace and his mighty power. Whenever we feel like saying, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm not smart enough. I'm not confident enough. I tend to put my foot in my mouth. You know, I, I just don't know or I clam up. I can't tell other people about Jesus. Paul would say, welcome to the club. Because I don't do this in my power. My secret is this. I do it by God's grace who has forgiven me. So every single time Satan comes and says, who do you think you are to tell other people about Jesus? You just round with your wife. You just shouted at your kids. Oh, good Christian, you are. And then you go and tell other people, and maybe the neighbors have even heard it, and then you go over the fence and invite them to men's breakfast. You know, and the guy says, oh, yeah, good dad you are, good Christian you are. That's what Satan does. That's his playbook. And Paul would be saying, don't listen to that. You live by grace. And when you think, I can't do it, I'm not confident, I'm not fluent, I don't communicate well. Paul said, it's not about you. It's about God's mighty power. You're not alone, and you're dependent on his resources. And here's the question for me and me. What's our excuse? What's our excuse for not sharing with other people the good news of Jesus? What is it? Because most of the time, it is those two things. Better be careful with my fingers. It is those two things. Number one, we tend to say to ourselves, I'm not a good enough Christian to be able to tell other people about being a Christian because I'm not necessarily setting the best example. Paul would say, uh -uh. wrong excuse, neither am I. I've assisted somebody being killed and I've put people in prison. I'm sure you probably haven't done that. By grace, you can tell them. Next excuse would be, Christy, Paul, I'm not like you. Little idea do you have how hard it is for me. But we tend to say, I, I can't. I can't say it. I'm shy. I, I am struggling. What if they reject me? All that kind of stuff. Paul would say, eh, eh. not a good excuse. Neither can I. God's power is available to you. And that's a challenge that Paul would give to us about doing mission independence. It isn't about us. It is about him and us submitting to his will. And then I would say to Paul in the podcast, Paul, let, let me be really honest with you. This is really hard. And he would say, let me tell you about it. Mission is costly. He says to the Ephesians, so please don't lose heart because of my trials here. I'm suffering for you. So you should feel 
or not. I love Paul's leadership heart in this, and this is an aside for leaders. It's not about Paul and about what Paul suffers. His concern is still for them. So he's actually saying, guys, I don't want you to be upset because I'm struggling in this. So I'm saying this, I'm writing this so you know. I'm suffering for you so you should feel honored. It's that sense in, in which Paul, with humility and selflessness, he's saying, if you want to live missionally, you must be willing to pay the price of suffering. He said it at the beginning, talking about his chains. He's saying it right here at the end again. Don't lose heart because of my trials here and my suffering. Now, this is not to guilt trip them or or, or a humble brag from Paul. He simply wanted to illustrate that point that when you live on mission, when you're seeking to meet people with the good news of Jesus, there will be suffering that will come on the way. And that's what I'm telling you right at the very (laughs) beginning of this. If you're saying to me, it's going to be hard, I'm going to say yes. It will. If you're saying people are going to reject it, I'd say yes, some will. If you're saying some people might mock me, I'm saying yes, some might. If you're saying, but not everybody's listening to what I'm saying, I will say, yeah, it's true. Some may not be listening. So embrace it with a wide open realization that living on mission and sharing the good news is not going to be easy. And frankly, it's all about perspective. The worst that can happen to me and you is that somebody would call us a nutter and defriend us from social media or unfollow us from social media or maybe spread some lies about who we are. That's nothing compared to brothers and sisters around the world who are rotting in jails for years or are facing execution simply because they choose not to deny that Christ is Lord. It's all about perspective, right? But they don't. They don't. I'll never forget it, probably the most shattering visual thing that I've ever seen in my life, and I'm not a squeamish person, was the Coptic believers, the 21 Coptic believers, dressed in the orange boiler suits on the shores of the Libyan beach with the ISIS soldiers standing behind them with knives at their throats asking them to recount that they believe in Jesus and not one of them did and as they started singing they slashed their throats it was the most stark thing I've ever seen in my entire life And the bravery of those ordinary men whose names we don't even know. And that's the beauty. In the kingdom of God, it isn't about names. It is about honoring Christ. But there is a price to pay. And in our Western comfortable world, we've become so used to being sort of the people in power, the people that got it all right, the people that had all the things And now it's kind of switched down and we're now in minority and we're slowly becoming an oppressed minority. And I don't think we know how to deal with it. We need to camp a lot more in the book of Acts 
to learn what it looks like to be a minority movement led by the Spirit of God, oppressed by a pagan majority. And therefore, Paul is reminding us that mission is costly. And the question comes to me, what am I willing to pay? What price am I willing to pay for the sake of sharing the good news? What am I willing to lose? What am I willing to suffer? How, how far will I go to live out what I believe? Just like those Coptic believers on the Libyan shore. Let's go back to Paige's story. There's a beautiful gospel parallel that I hinted right at the very beginning. Me and you were hopelessly lost. Metaphorically speaking, we were dead. Until Christ interrupted that lostness and came and rescued us and came and gave us salvation. But it is us. He also gave us this call to mission. Some of you are tired of hearing me talk about it. And some of you have said it to me. Will you stop banging on about mission? Will you stop talking about evangelism? Will you stop talking about living missionally? I can't. Because for me, salvation and mission are absolutely tied together. The moment I'm speaking, I'm stopping speaking about mission, I'm stopping speaking about salvation. The two are tied together. So tight-knit. Think about Paige for a second. What if Paige would have walked away from that bridge and never ever did anything about it? She would have been entitled to, and frankly, probably nobody else would have known, and it would have seemed like, okay, whatever. But if I would have been Paige, I can't judge her, I can't critique her, but if I would have been Paige... And I would have to use three words for myself for walking away and never ever doing anything about it. I would use these three words. Selfish, lazy, uncaring. I have been shown great kindness that changed my life. And if I didn't do anything about other people who would have struggled like, just like I did struggle, I would think of myself as being a somebody selfish, lazy, and uncaring. Bring it back to the gospel parallel. I have been saved by Christ. If I don't share the good news with other people, is it possible that I could catalog myself just like I would catalog somebody like Paige who didn't do anything about it as possibly selfish, lazy, and uncaring? The question reminds for all of us to explore. I know what the answer would be for myself. And I don't want to be like that. I don't want either to be selfish, nor lazy, nor uncaring. Because Christ in his grace met me. I want to share that good news with other people. There are two things I I think are helpful. If I ask the question, how do I do that? First of all, just to cultivate the gratitude for the gospel. The more I believe the good news is good, the more I'm likely to tell other people about it. 
If I don't believe it's the most mind-blowing, awesome thing that's ever happened to me, if that doesn't take center stage in my life and it's everything that my life revolves around, I'm very unlikely to let other people know. And frankly, it will look fake. Because we all know we've got this inner radar. When somebody's telling me something and they're passionate about it, I'm thinking either you're bringing me a spiel or it's the real deal. And in order to be able to share it with somebody else, I think I need to be grateful and convinced that the good news is good. But then there needs to be a preparedness. Are you ready? Am I ready to actually share the good news? And there are four questions I want to leave on the screen. And I'm going to leave a little bit of time for us to ponder upon and ask the Holy Spirit to help us with this. And you can ponder them through the week, but I don't want to lose the moment now just as the Holy Spirit could be placing somebody in our lives. The questions that are helpful for me. Where has God placed me? Where has God placed me? I'll insert a little rant here. I think the vast majority of us are absolutely appalled at what is happening to our nation, spiritually speaking, right? Yeah, Jeff and, Jeff and I are. And some of you probably. But this didn't happen overnight. This is probably 40, 50 years of Christians being asleep and unengaged in the world they lived in. Parents were very keen for their kids to go to Bible school. But not many parents were very keen for their kids to go into social work, to go into media studies, to go into education, to go into politics. What? Politics? Christians? No, you go to Bible school. Or you go on the mission field to Burundi or wherever. And for 40, 50 years, we've ignored these spheres of influence. And lo and behold, the people that are taking positions of authority in this area are people who have nothing of the heart of the kingdom of God in them. Hello? And as a result of it, we are where we are because we've been asleep. Because we moved into a neighborhood, clocked in into our local church, and went to our prayer meetings and worship services with zero civic engagement. Where are the local councillors? By the way, there's a local councillor. I'm telling you, this week I've been very, very tempted. Very, very tempted. Local council, school boards. So many places of influence that Christians just don't want to get engaged because we haven't got a time. But we're binging on Netflix. We're going on many, many holidays. We're doing a lot of stuff because we haven't got time. And in the meantime, a whole society around us is dying. And this is why I'm asking the question, where has God placed you? What's your job? What's your neighborhood? Because God doesn't accidentally just, it just happens. Wherever you are right now, if you're obeying Jesus, if you're living the life of the kingdom of God, you are not there by accident. Open your eyes and open your heart. And the next question is led, who has God placed me? And you're probably saying to me, Christy, you're kidding me? 
I know where you're going with this. But that's true. The place where you are, the place of influence, family. Oh, family. Oh, don't say that. Family, friends, neighbors, work colleagues, locality. Who are those people that God has placed? The customers that I have, the clients that I have, the people I visit, the people I work with, the children I look after, the parents I connect with. And then the next question, what can I say to them? Do you know what? Most of the time we think of ourselves, do you know what? We're, we're like those preachers. And, and you, you would kill me to you. Ian and I would do this to you. Sometimes, you, you know, people say, oh, you're one of those preachers. You know, open your mouth and the Spirit shall fill it. Trust me, if, <laughs> if I'm not preparing, all you're going to get is rants that are going to be probably 50-50. One week you're going to chuck me out of church, and one week you'll build me a statue outside. You know, we need to prepare ourselves. It's a shame we're sharing the good news. How much time do you prepare yourself? How much time you're praying about it? I read this mind-blowing thing this week. There's, I've got a real stirring for prayer at the moment, and particularly praying in the whole area of people being saved. I don't know what it's It's one of those things that sounds too good to be true. I'm getting long now. Never mind. It's a good story. So allegedly, Moody had a list. D.L. Moody. He, he was a shoemaker, humble guy, uneducated. One of the, the most tremendous evangelists in, 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 in the history of the church. He had a list of 100 people that he prayed for. And at the time of his death, apparently 96 of the people that he prayed for on the list of the 100 were saved. And allegedly, the other four got saved at his funeral. Don't know whether it's true or not. I mean, it sounds amazing. It sounds sensational. The point still remains. Am I willing for the rest of my life patiently to pray for people to be saved? Who's on your list? Do you even have a list? Who are you praying with? What are you going to say to them? Are you praying what, for, for God? As you're reading the Bible, you're thinking... Whoa, Jesus healed the leper. Whoa, this is amazing. I, I can make a link to that. Everything that you read about Jesus can become a link of something that you can share with somebody who doesn't know him yet. Because everything is beautiful about him. What are you going to say? And you pray and you think and you almost learn a line. And prophetically, as the Spirit of God will give you a line for somebody. Well, think about it. Write it down. Even bold enough to say, do you know what? I mean, around a cup of coffee or not like randomly weirdo kind of, you know, ambush them. But in the right context, just to say, look, I've been praying for you. You're my friend. Don't need to probably tell them that you're praying for their salvation. Don't make it weird. But you may want to. But just to say, as I've been praying for you, this is what God placed on my heart. Share it with them. What can you say to them? And then probably the $64,000 question, this is kind of bullseye. When can I tell it to them? When can I tell them something of Jesus? Because there needs to be a when. Because the doors of grace swung wide open. Will come to a close. Either with them passing away. Or with God saying, it's closed. And if me and you have got it, sometimes in the future, when I feel like, when I'm confident, when I figured out how to explain the Trinity, then I tell them. When are you going to tell them? 
And some of you already know, God, God's got your number this morning, because God does a lot of prep in our lives beforehand. And something that we've been looking at now is really landing. And maybe there's a real person or two or three people, and you're kind of thinking, oh, man, don't, I, I really feel like God's got his finger on me right now, because this is real. I've got to make some phone calls. I've got to get some cups of coffee. There's some people I need to talk to. There's some praying I need to get into. It's good. It's good. That's what we want. That's the heart of Paul. Let's just quieten ourselves as Beth and the team come to lead us in response. Maybe look at those questions. Maybe stay in stillness. And let the Spirit of God just seal in that. And either fuel that missionary zeal that you already have. Or maybe just unleash it afresh or for the first time. Because this is so... Amazing as an opportunity.